You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Psalm 147. I'll be reading the psalm in its entirety. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this reading of this holy and sacred word, Father. This word which is none other than your word. And Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we do ask that you would be pleased, O Father, to teach us this morning. That, O Father, you would dispatch your Holy Spirit to our hearts and that he will open our hearts, that he will teach us, that he will speak to us. Oh, Father, the voice that we hear this morning would not be a voice of a man, but it would be the very voice of God, that we would hear the Holy Spirit, that we would hear His voice, that we would hear You speak to us, O Lord. And, oh, Father, we pray that You will teach us this morning that which which we need to know, O Father, that You will encourage us this morning, O Father, and that, Lord, You will encourage us, O Lord, to learn from this psalm and not just to be uh, hearers, of the psalm, but also to be doers of that which we, that which we see in this psalm. That Father, we would find ourselves to be transformed by these words, O Lord. So do this work, O Father, and we praise you for this work. For we know that the work that you do, O Lord, is no temporary work, but it is a eternal work. So Father, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. 14 Reasons is the title of the sermon this morning. 14 Reasons to Praise. 14 Reasons. 
The psalm um, doesn't give us one reason. It doesn't give us two reasons. It doesn't even give us 10 reasons, but it gives us 14 reasons uh, to praise Him. And the design of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 147 is to stir us to these ends. It's to stir us to offer praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. If you look at verse 1, there you see praise the Lord. And the Hebrew that's behind that actually is a word that you all are very familiar with. You've already read the word a couple of times this morning. And it's the word hallelujah. And when I put it that way, hallel simply means to praise. Praise, hallelujah. And then the yah at the end is an abbreviated form of Yahweh. And it literally means to praise Yah or to praise Yahweh. And interestingly enough, our psalm begins with hallelujah. And if you look at the very last line of, of verse 20, uh, the praise the Lord there actually is the same word, hallelujah. So it begins with, with that, a word to praise the Lord. It ends with a word to praise the Lord. And I point your attention to verses 1, 7, and 12. If you're looking at 1, uh, uh, once again, there's the call to praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It's pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. If you look at verse 7, there we're told to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. And if you go down to verse 12, there we're, there we're called to praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. Each of these verses is in what we call the imperative case. And what that means is, is that these are commands. These are commands to, to praise the Lord, to sing songs of thanksgiving to the Lord, and to praise the Lord. Verses 1, 7, and 12, respectively. And our psalm can be divided into these three headings. In fact, that's why I'm pointing this to your attention. This offers a natural outline for us, a natural division. So in verse 1, we have the, the imperative or the command to praise the Lord. And then following it, we have six motives or six reasons, if you will, uh, given under it to stir our hearts to praise. And then in verse 7, we have the imperative or the command to sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. And it, it can be parsed in a couple different ways, but for the, our purposes this morning, I'm going to parse in two ways. We're given two reasons given under it to offer thanksgiving to our Lord. So, and then verse 12, we have the imperative or the command once again, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. And then underneath verse 12, we have six further reasons given to stir us to praise the Lord our God. So six plus two plus six, in my estimate, makes 14. Uh, 14 reasons to praise the Lord in singing and in thanksgiving. So what I want to do this morning is take a brief look at each one of these, uh, each one of these headings and to look at the reasons that are given under them uh, for... Um, for this praise and we do this asking the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts this morning uh, to praise the Lord and to offer songs of thanksgiving to him so our first heading is in verse 1 praise the Lord and the reason given for praising the Lord is it is good the first reason that we're given is is that it, it's good why do we praise the Lord the first reason the Holy Spirit gives us this morning is because praising the Lord is good. 
a couple of weeks ago at a Bible study, the Westminster Shorter Catechism came up. And um, we got to talking about it a little bit, and there seemed to be so much interest in it. I just asked a showing of hands of how many people would like to revisit the Shorter Catechism, and, and it was unanimous. Everybody who was logged on to that Bible study, there was probably 20 people, uh, their, hands, uh, their hands were in the air, and even in cases where some had their video muted, uh, they chimed in and unmuted their audio to let them know that their hand was in the air. So uh, I've begun to re, just re-immerse myself in the Shorter Catechism, anticipating that we'll be visiting that. But the first question of the Shorter Catechism simply asks, what is the chief end of man? And it's the most famous question that is asked in that catechism, and the answer is the most famous answer in that catechism, and it's, it's uh, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. To glorify God and to enjoy Him. We have a common proverb in our culture that goes something like this, uh, He is doing what He was meant to do. Uh, sometimes we'll say this about somebody, oh, he's just doing what he was meant to do. And when we say that, we're usually speaking of some natural inclination or some natural or unusual talent or unusual ability that somebody's in demonstrating. Maybe he's an unusual Finnish carpenter or he's an unusual um, uh, engineer, um, someone who's unusual, has unusual uh, talents, and unusual abilities in a particular vocation or a, a particular uh, endeavor, and we say, oh, he's just doing what, was, what he was meant to do. Well, when we glorify God, we are doing what we were meant to do. Uh, we are doing what we are meant to do. When we glorify ourselves, we're, we're distorting that, we're perverting that. Uh, we're doing what we were not meant to do, and that's why so many problems come uh, from that. But... And when we're glorifying the Lord, we are simply doing what we are meant to do. And how do we glorify the Lord? We glorify the Lord by declaring His glory. By declaring His glory. And you notice the psalm uh, commands us not simply to declare, uh, but to sing. Notice in verse 1, Praise the Lord comes the command, for it is good to sing praises to our God. Not simply to declare them, but to sing them. If anyone would ask why do we why do we sing and worship because we're commanded to we're commanded to the songs that we have just sang why are they part of our worship service because the bible commands us to do them that's why and we're commanded to sing now what's important what's so important about singing singing attaches the emotions and the whole person to the praise singing has an has the the, uh, the tendency to attach our deepest emotions uh, to the praise. And in fact, when we're really moved, when our hearts are really moved, some of us will find ourselves whistling along, we'll find ourselves humming along, we find ourselves, you know, our temperaments are all different, but it really is an expression of the, of the inward person. And here we're called to attach our deepest emotions. And we're told that we, pr we praise the Lord, and the reason that we're given for praising the Lord is that it's good. In fact, the psalmist says in verse 1 that it's good, it's pleasant, and it's fitting. It's good, it's pleasant, and it's fitting. It's pleasant because, as one author puts it, it proceeds out of love. William Nicholson, years ago, said it proceeds out of love. Kind of like, if you will, a gift given on a special occasion. You know, maybe it's on your sweetie's birthday, or it's on Christmas, or... Maybe it's on Mother's Day, you know, you give her a, 
Uh, you give her a gift, and that gift is given in love. You know, it's pleasant to receive these kinds of things, but it's actually also very pleasant to give those things too, isn't it? Uh, it's pleasant. It's very pleasant, and it's fitting. I love the King James translation of this. The, the King James translates this, it is comely. I, I, I love that. It is comely. You know, this afternoon, fellas, put your arm around your sweetie and, and say, oh, how comely you are today. Now, you might want to explain to her what comely means before you do that, because she might smack you. I don't know if she doesn't understand that comely, comely means beautiful. You know, Chris, would you, on your way to your hospital today, put your arm around Becca and, and tell her that she is comely. You know, tell her that she is beautiful. Um, that is the meaning of the word. It is fitting. It is beautiful. Uh, the same author, William Nicholson, he puts it this way. He says, to praise God is comely. For there is no greater stain than ingratitude. Did you, did you get that line? He says, there is no greater stain than ingratitude. It is made up of a lie and injustice. There is then all the decency in the world in praise, and it is comely that a man be thankful to his God who freely gives him all things. End of quote. So it is good, fitting, and it is indeed beautiful. That's the first reason that the psalmist gives us. The first reason the Holy Spirit gives us to stir our hearts to praise. The second one is in verse 2. And, and there we read that the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Now, we, the first question we might want to ask this morning is, who are the outcasts? Who are the outcasts? Well, possibly uh, the, the scattered Israelites are in view after the, um, after the exile. And for the benefit who, of those who are not familiar with the history, you know, after Solomon's reign, his son Rehoboam takes the throne. And Rehoboam, uh, he, he botches, the first thing he does is he splits the kingdom. Uh, a ter terrible, terrible, terrible um, start to a, a reign. He splits the kingdom. Israel in the north splits from Judah in the south. And uh, a number of years later, Israel, uh, aside from the fact that the Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to her, she continued to apostatize from the Lord, and the Lord finally uh, raised up Assyria to carry her off into exile. And then a number of years later, Judah followed in suit and was carried off by Babylon. So the people of Israel were scattered all over the known world at that time. And But to those who were in exile, the Lord... Speaking through Ezekiel, he made this promise. He said, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. And there we see the Lord promising to gather his people, to go out and gather his people and bring his people in. And, and the good news is, and we wouldn't be sitting here staring at each other on our screens if it weren't for the fact that the Lord still gathers. He has come and gathered each one of us and he has gathered and he has brought us in through the preaching of the gospel the lord gathers men and women who are walking in darkness and in sin and the holy spirit quickens us you know i use this this old old word quicken what does quicken mean he gives us life he gives us life he breathes he breathes spiritual life into our dead spiritual souls and he quickens us and gives us new hearts and he brings us into his church. And it is the Lord who gathers. Therefore, it is the Lord who keeps us. If it is the Lord who has indeed gathered us, 
It will be the Lord who also will keep us. So if you're in Christ this morning, He has gathered you and He will certainly keep you. And what would we be doing right now if the Lord had not brought us into His church? If the Lord had not gathered in, us into His church? What would we be doing at this moment in time? Would we be watching a five-year-old ball game right now? Or, or maybe worse, watching a five-year-old game of golf? I mean, what would we be doing right now? What in the world would we be doing? It wouldn't be what we're doing now, would it? And how wonderful it is to be coming before the Lord, asking the Lord to stir our hearts to be praising the Lord. We praise Him because, because He has brought us in. He has brought us in to His church. Thirdly, we praise Him because He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah applies the work of healing the broken hearts to Christ. In Isaiah 61.1, we read these words. You don't need to turn there. Just listen as I read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Upon who? That is upon the Messiah, upon the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are abound. And as many of you know, Jesus... 700 years later, when he goes into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he turns to this place, and he reads this verse, and applies this verse to himself. And this is recorded for us in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. Now, who are the brokenhearted? Now, it, it sometimes this verse is misunderstood, and people will apply this verse to all kinds of broken hearts, people whose hearts are broken, maybe over grief for the loss of a loved one. And God is who we want to. It's, we've already prayed for some who are grieving this morning. We do want to pray for the Lord to come alongside and, and console those who are grieving loss. That is something that the Lord does. That is something we want to call on the Lord to do. But that is not what's in view here. That is not the kind of broken heart that this verse speaks of. It's not the kind of broken heart that a teenager has, you know, when you know his, his puppy love is dashed and his sweetie has dumped him or dumped her. Uh, it's not that kind of thing. It's not the kind of grief we would experience over a divorce. No, it's a different kind. It's a different kind of pain. The brokenheartedness that's in this verse is a brokenheartedness that describes inward pain over dishonoring and displeasing the Lord in sin. That is what's in view here. Uh, an American newspaper asked William Booth around the year 1900, and this American newspaper asked William Booth what he thought the chief dangers ahead for the 20th century were. And Booth answered, quote, Religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, and listen to this next one. Forgiveness without repentance. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. What a prophet. I mean, what a prophetical word uh, was given by Mr. Booth at this time. And I, I bring this to your attention for a couple of reasons. One is forgiveness without repentance. That, that has been so true for the last 50 or 75 years in the church. This idea that we can have forgiveness without repentance. Or that we can have salvation without what we call regeneration. In other words, salvation without a new heart. Uh, salvation without a new heart. The church at large seems to know very little about being 
brokenhearted. And before the divine surgeon, before our God, who can be likened to a surgeon in this respect, before the divine surgeon can heal us, he has to first lacerate us. That's what a, that's what a surgeon does. A surgeon, a surgeon is no surgeon who has no scalpel. A surgeon is no surgeon who doesn't first make an incision. And the divine surgeon, he, he, the, before the divine surgeon can heal us, he must make an incision. And this is the beginning of his work. And this incision is the conviction of sin. And namely, not, not, a, you know, not the pain that comes as a result of the consequences of sin. You know, everybody who's hauled off to jail, you know, is sorry for the fact they're being hauled off to jail. That's not what's in view. What's in view is the fact that our, in our sin, we have displeased and dishonored our Lord. And I'll just ask you the question, how many people do you know are truly brokenhearted over the fact that they've displeased and dishonored God? How many people do you know that you can say, you know what, that person is really displeased and dishonored because they have, uh, or, or, or is grieving because they have displeased and dishonored God? And let us examine ourselves, too, to see if there's any broken-heartedness in our own hearts. And again, broken-heartedness, it describes conviction. And it's only after conviction can there be healing. And this is the first work that Jesus describes as the work of the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit, or when the Helper comes, He will convict the world of sin. In John 16, 8, Jesus says that. So the result of this conviction is a broken heart. Now, what we praise God for in this third this third motive is that Jesus, the divine healer, comes to the bedside of those who are suffering from broken hearts. Jesus, the divine healer, he comes to the bedside of those who are suffering from broken hearts. That's our third reason. Our fourth reason is in verse, verse 4. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Anyone who has looked up at the sky on a clear night uh, realizes how staggering of a statement this is. And of course, for a clear night, we have to travel a little bit. We don't get many of those around here, but um, we have had a couple of them this, this spring. There's been a couple of nights where, you know, as I was letting my dog outside on the back porch, I look up and then there's all these stars out. And we don't see the stars very well from around here. But if you go somewhere like out in the woods, you go somewhere where there's not very many lights, on a clear night you can see so many stars. They're, they're breathtaking. And one thing we can't do is we, we, we just cannot count them. It's just, it's, it's, their, their number is beyond our calculation. Yet we're told in this verse that the Lord knows each of them by name. And what this, what this describes, actually, is not just simply naming them. The Lord, is, the Lord knows each of them by name. He has set each of them on their own orbit. And He has given each of them a delicate assignment. They each play a role in how this universe functions. Now, of course, this, this is not so, meant, so much meant to give us an astronomy lesson. As this is meant, we're meant to bring these things down to ourselves. The implication of this is that in the same way, the Lord knows each of His children. He's known each of us. He has given each of us our name. He has given each of us our orbit. And He has given each of us our delicate assignment. And, of course, you know, our 
our course in this in this analogy would be our life you know our marriage our children our vocation uh, that that would that would be our orbit and the things that the lord does in each of our courses uh is all part of his assembling his kingdom so you know each of us is playing a a delicate role in the building uh, of his kingdom that is staggering isn't it that is breathtaking uh, what a motive to to praise the Lord. Fifthly, uh, we're we're told in verse five, "Great is our Lord and abundant in power; His understanding is beyond measure." Uh, this really re- rides on on the fourth reason that we just thought about. Uh, and you know, here we praise the Lord for His infinite power and His infinite understanding. We praise Him for the comfort this brings us to know that our heavenly Father has unlimited power. Uh, what a great comfort that is to us when we find ourselves in these kinds of situations. Number six, and the last one under the first heading, is a bright future. A bright future. Notice the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. It's a bright future. This is a reversal. The world looks to the proud and humanly accomplished for its heroes. And really even worse, the tendency over the last number of years have been to look uh, really at celebrities. Um, most of today's, I'd say most of today's heroes are, are godless celebrities who unblushingly mock the Lord. Um, it's, it's a real sad state of affairs that so many of our young people are looking up to uh, some of these uh, folks. And, and unfortunately, and I say this actually, I, I, I say this with tears, um, unfortunately many of these, of these, um, these celebrities who really are openly mocking the Lord in so many respects, uh, many of these people will in no time be lost to drug overdoses. They'll be lost to financial ruin. They're going to be lost to the course that they're on. is just such a tr- such a destructive course. And I say that with I say that with um, I say that with with tears. Uh, in in the words of verse six, they're going to be cast to the ground um, unless repentance comes to them. They, they will be cast to the ground. Um, but the humble, we're told in these verses. You know, those whose proud hearts have been subdued by the Holy Spirit. That's who the humble are. Who are the humble? Those whose proud hearts have been subdued by the work of the Holy Spirit. The humble, the humble are going to be lifted up. They'll be exalted. Jesus says this in Luke 18, 14, when he says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's Jesus is saying the same thing. So the humble, the humble have a bright future. It, it's, it, there's the motive to praise. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you've been humbled by the Holy Spirit. And though it'll be difficult in this life, uh, we have the brightest of futures. And this is calling us to praise the Lord for that bright future. So a review under the first head, stirring our hearts to praise the Lord under the first heading, we, we praise Him because it's good, it's pleasant, it's fitting. You know, it's what we are made to do. It is comely, if you will. It is beautiful. Secondly, we praise Him because He's brought us into His church. Thirdly, because He has healed our broken hearts. Um, We praise Him because He knows each of us by name. He has set each of us on our course, if you will. Our lives matter. They're they're, They're all part of His decree. We praise Him because of His infinite power and incomprehensible understanding. We praise Him because we have a bright future. He will exalt those whom he has humbled. So that's the first battery, if you will, of motives that come under our first heading. 
The second heading is in verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. It's the second imperative we have this morning. The second command. And the first reason we have for it is His provision, which is given to us in verses 8 and 9. If you look at verse 8 with me, there we're told He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. Farming communities are utterly dependent upon rain for their economy. Utterly dependent. If we were all farmers, what would be on our mind right now would be the rain. Um, that, that's what's on your mind. You have to have sufficient rain uh, if you're a farming community. And verse 8 is an image of provision. If you look at it again, He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hill. Uh, heavens here, uh, Shemayim, the Hebrew word, is, is sometimes used for the sky. And that's, that's what's in view here. He covers the sky with clouds, if you will. So verse 8 is an image of provision. And, and this is one of the reasons that led me to Psalm 147. You know, as I'm watching the news and talking with people, you know, right now the world is trembling in fear over the economy. And here in verse 8, the Lord is telling the faithful, He's telling all of those whose faith and trust are in Him, He's telling us that we don't need to, uh, we don't need to fuss, we don't need to worry. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills, if you will. Uh, so, our work is not to tremble. Our work is to give thanks for His provision. Thanks for the provision He's given us. He's not going to be no less a provider in the future than He was in the past. God doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So our work is not to tremble. Our work is to give thanks for His provision. But it's almost as if we need more proof. The Lord, the Holy Spirit gives us more proof. If you look at verse 9, there it says, He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Now, here, here's an argument from lesser to greater. It's an argument from lesser uh, to greater, if you will. And um, so what's going on here is, you know, the Lord cares for the birds and the animals. How much more will He care for us? The Lord cares for the birds and the animals. How much more will He care for us? Now, Jesus picks this up in Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, very famously He picks this up. He picks exactly this up when He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You see, Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater. Look, He prepares and He provides uh, for the ravens, for the birds. And are you not much more valuable than them. Let this stir our hearts and let this transform, transform our hearts from trembling to thanksgiving. Let us sing to the Lord with thanksgiving for the provision that He will surely bring forth. But secondly, under this second head, we thank Him because He delights in those who fear Him. If you look at verses 10 and 11, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.26, he says, For consider your calling, and he's speaking to the church in Corinth when he says this. He says to the believers in Corinth, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You know, in, in this world, we have, there are the haves and the have-nots, if you will. The haves and the have-nots. And for the most part, for, for most part of the world's history, and for the most part, the, um, the have-nots have not really been able to change their station in life, uh, for the most part. In most, in most quarters of the world, for most of the world's history. Um, but here we give thanks to the Lord for what He delights in. Not the strong, the noble, or accomplished, but he delights in those who fear his name. And, it's, and that is, who, who are those who fear his name? It's those who stand in reverential awe of the Lord. And, and those in, whose greatest joy and concern is to please him. What are these folks about? They're, they're, they're all about pleasing the Lord. So what does the Lord delight in? Family name, noble birth? Trophies on the wall, acquisition of property, success in business. No, these are not the things that the Lord delights in. The Lord delights in those who stand in reverential awe of Him and whose greatest fear is to displease Him or to dishonor Him in any way. So in summary of our second heading, stirring our hearts to sing and thanksgiving to the Lord, is God's amazing provision. His amazing provision and the fact that He delights in those who fear Him. Those are our second, those are our second headings. And our second motives, if you will, under the second heading. And now we come to the third and final, verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. And the first reason we praise Him for is protection. If you look at verse 13, He strengthens the bars of your gates. This is an image of protection over the community, or protection upon the community, if you will. He strengthens the bars of your gates. Now, listen, loved ones, our houses can be broken into this afternoon. Our houses can be broken into this afternoon. But nothing can separate us from the love of God if you're in Christ Jesus. Listen to the Apostle Paul famously in Romans 8.35 and following. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is security. That is security indeed. So we praise Him for the protection that we have in Christ Jesus. Secondly, again in verse 13, 13b, if you will, we praise Him because He blesses our children. He blesses, he blesses your children within you. Uh, what a great reason to praise Him. Children are not given to their parents at random or willy-nilly. Uh, that's not what the Lord does. The Lord determines the places in which we are to be born and to uh, the particular parents that we're born to. And the Apostle Paul, he declares... Uh, the children of believers to be holy. Uh, they are blessed, uh, if you will, uh, with the privileges of belonging to the covenant. They're blessed with those privileges. Uh, they're set apart in the world in the same way the nation of Israel was set apart. The male children of Israel received the covenant sign, and all of the children grew up in the synagogues. So they grew up hearing the word of the Lord. Now, imagine what a blessing it is. As our children hear as they hear you reading your Bibles in the mornings, as they hear and see us reading our Bibles, 
as they as they come to church and they see us praying, they hear the songs that we're singing, uh, they 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 hear what they can of the sermons. Uh, they go into junior church and they hear those lessons. These are incredible blessings that our children receive that give them such a blessing over their neighbors who do not know the Lord. And um, so they grow up hearing these songs of praise and thanksgiving. And this is what the psalmist is stirring us to. Uh, and this uh, indeed is a great advantage over the children of the world. So what could be a greater blessing than he blesses your children? And this will stir the hearts of every parent. I mean, those words, you, I, my guess is that when many of you read this psalm, you probably stop when you get to verse 13b. I mean, that's probably a place where you stop because what? You get there where he says he blesses your children. You stop dead in your tracks. Uh, well, there's something that you want to mentally hang on to and for good reason. And as we sing songs of thanksgiving to the Lord for his blessing upon our children, let's accompany this thanksgiving with Christ that he would give our children true faith and repentance. True faith and repentance. For though there were many children in Israel who were blessed and received a covenant sign of circumcision, not all of them came to saving faith. So we want to call on the Lord to give to them uh, saving faith. Just as I've prayed for Chris and Becca's child, uh, we want to pray that, uh, that the Lord will bring them to true saving faith. And may this call us to pray for all of the children in our church, not just our own children. So may verse 13 give us great, even give us great hope. May it give us great hope. It's great hope to know that the Lord blesses our children. And that can spur us to praying for them. Uh, thirdly, peace. Verse 14, He makes peace in your borders. Now, peace in the world should not be something that we should expect in this life. I mean, we may go through seasons where we have peace in the world, but peace in the world is not something that we should expect in this life. But peace with God can be found in Christ Jesus. Peace with God can be found in Christ Jesus. And how backwards the world has this. People think they have peace with God without Christ. I find this to be one of the hardest things to convince people in our culture of, is is that uh, they do not. If you're not, if you if you don't have Christ, you don't have peace. Our, our culture almost in mass, and it's because many pulpits in mass have taught this for so long that everybody has peace, and it's it's you know, uh, without Christ there can be no peace. I mean. As I speak, there are so many who are walking in the footsteps of the wicked priests of, of Ezekiel's day who proclaim peace with God when there was no peace. And, and these folks need to read their Bibles. They need to read Ezekiel chapter 13. I mean, as well intended as some of these may be, nevertheless, they're preaching a false doctrine, which is a false gospel. The Lord says in Ezekiel 13.10, They have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And this is just one of many passages that we could read where we see that things do not turn out well for them uh, because this false gospel is actually ruining souls. There can be no peace without Christ. This is why Jesus is weeping on the Mount of Olives when we read of Him in Luke's Gospel descending down the Mount of Olives on what the church calls um, the triumphal entry. Luke records for us in chapter 19, verses 41 to 42 that at one place on the hill... When Jesus drew near and saw the city, we're told that he wept over it. He wept over it. Verse 42, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
But there's a false gospel today that says, oh, Jesus, Jesus, you don't need to cry. Let me come to your comfort. Let me come to your side and let me comfort you. You don't need to cry over those people. As long as these people are sincere in what they believe, they'll be fine, Jesus. You don't, you don't need to, all religions lead to the same place, Jesus. You know, as I say this, that's absurd, is it not? It's absolutely absurd. You be the judge. Should sincerity be our Savior? Or should Jesus be our Savior? There we see Jesus. He is weeping. Why is he weeping? Because he knows they will reject him. And in rejecting him, they can have no peace with God. And some will come along and say, well, Rick, you know, you're, that's Old Testament stuff. And I'll say, well, wait a second. We're reading in the New Testament. They'll say, yeah, you're reading in the New Testament. But Jesus hasn't been raised yet. But then to that, I'll say, well, what about the destruction of the temple? That happens after this the resurrection of Jesus. And that is what Jesus is weeping over, is because of the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, which will fall in about 30 years after, 35 years after this particular incident. Jesus looks down the corridors of time to see the certain destruction that meets everyone who is apart from Christ. In rejecting him, they have no peace with God. And may his tears on the Mount of Olives Teach stubborn hearts to run to him, and may his tears, may his tears cause us to abandon the false gospel of sincerity. That's a false and ridiculous gospel. We praise the Lord because he has given us peace in Christ. And if you're in Christ, he has spared you from the destruction that will certainly come. He's, so much more could be said about this. Let's go to, ver, the, to the fourth reason. And this one is in 14b. He fills you with the finest of wheat. And I, I think this one is so simple that I hardly need to say much about it except to repeat what we've already said earlier, namely, let our trembling be turned to thanksgiving. Uh, the Lord, you know, may, may our thanksgiving issue forth in praise. I mean, listen, loved ones, if we're in Christ, the Lord's going to give us what we need. He's going to give us what we need to have. He is going to provide what we need. And He'll provide it when we need it. If there's a delay in His provision, then that's what we need, is a delay in, in the provision. But he will give us what we need. And what a great relief it is. And how this should stir our hearts to praise him. Fifthly is his providence. We can get lost in this one. If we study the shorter catechism, there's a question on providence that, that is wonderful. It's a wonderful doctrine to study. Verses 15 through 18. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Hail is probably in view in that one, in case you're wondering. That's probably hail uh, there in verse 17. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. And here we praise him for his powerful ruling over every aspect of creation for his good purposes. And these are the things that the world attributes to Mother Nature. You know, you watch the news and the meteorologist who's supposed to be a scientist um, ascribes all of this to Mother Nature. Um, it's just amazing that the absurdity that the fallen heart is willing to go just to avoid God, uh, to avoid saying that, uh, that this is the work of the Lord. The insurance man has no problem saying it when a tree falls on your roof, but uh, the meteorologist wants to ascribe it to uh, wants to ascribe it to uh, Mother Nature. Um, we should be thankful for God's providence, by the way. We should be very thankful for His providence. 
because otherwise we would be living in some kind of a cruel Russian roulette, uh, just living by, by random chance and luck of the draw. But no, if you look at verse 15, no, he sends out his commands to the earth. He sends his commands to the earth. He controls the snow, the frost, the wind, and the hail. And this points to the Lord's providence in which he governs all things for good. And again, in pointing to his providence over the weather, that is indeed, by implication, pointing to his providence over everything. You know, he, he, he names the sun, the moon, and the star, or he names the stars, puts them all in their orbits. I mean, God is in control of all things. And this leads to our last one, the privilege of his word, verses 19 and 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation, that they do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. And here we praise the Lord for the privileges of having Bibles, for the privileges of having a Bible. I've owned a Bible since I was a child. Uh, Mom and Dad bought me a children's Bible when I was a I, I really don't remember not having a Bible. Uh, my, my, I had a grandmother, who, she, lived in, she had lived in Georgia for most of my life, but uh, she had given me a couple of these little New Testaments. You remember those little soul winners Bibles? I, I, got, I got every one of them in a drawer. Um, I, I do not ever remember not having a Bible. But for many years it pains me to say, my Bible laid around in my house unnoticed and unread. And it was because... My heart was darkened. I had this great treasure in my house, but my heart was too darkened to see its value. What a blessing it is to be awakened to the value of God's Word. And I wonder if there's anybody listening here this morning that has a Bible somewhere in their home, but yet your heart is too darkened to see its value. Well, if that's the case, what do we do? Let us repent and let us begin looking at our... Open up the Bible, and as we open up the Bible, and as we study the Bible, uh, we will see um, its value. And we praise God in this, in this last petition. We praise that the Lord has given us His Word, and may He awaken us to the value of His Word afresh this morning. So in conclusion, Psalm 147 is one of the many psalms which stir our hearts to praise the Lord. We praise Him because... Because praising Him is good, pleasant, fitting. Yes, it is comely. It is comely. And it's what we are made to do. We praise Him because He has brought us into His church and healed our broken hearts, broken for sin. We praise Him because He knows us by name. He has set each one of us on our course. We praise Him because our lives matter and they're part of His decree. We praise Him because of His infinite power and incomprehensible understanding. We praise Him because we have a bright future. Isn't that wonderful that we have a bright future? We won't be sitting here looking at screens. We'll be, in, we'll be in, in glorified bodies praising Jesus who we can see just like we can see one another. And secondly, we, Psalm 147 stirs our hearts to sing thanksgiving to the Lord for His amazing provision. Let, our, let not our hearts be troubled. The Lord has provided a place for us upon death. He'll certainly provide a place for us now. He, he will provide for us. Let us thank Him for His amazing provision. The fact that He delights in those who fear Him. Let us praise Him for that. And the last heading, Psalm 147 stirs our hearts to praise Him because He protects us. He blesses our children. He gives us peace with Him in Christ. He feeds us. And lastly, we praise Him for His providence and His Word. What an amazing list we have. In our devotion, we need only take one or two of these. 
or three of these and just spend time uh, praying, uh, praising Him and thanking Him for this. And may this great psalm transform us from trembling to praise, from uncertainty to thanksgiving, and from silence to songs of praise. Amen and Amen.